Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 2011 was an interesting year. I found myself in a place where I, I really didn't know I'd be there before, and that was standing at the casket of my two remaining grandparents uh, and burying both of those grandparents back to back. It was a very interesting uh, thing. And I was sharing with somebody this week. I'm, I'm not really like an emotional person, but like for me, when it when the flood comes, oh, the flood comes. And, and each grandparent, each stage of the grandparents, I actually officiated their funerals uh, and did that. It all came at different stages. So uh, the floodgates came when I. I buried my papa, just just completely opened up. Um, and a few years later, we were at a, a family get-together, and my dad had actually invited uh, my great-uncle Henry, who is my papa's brother. And they are like identical twins. You can close your eyes. They sound the same. You can look at them, uh, minus the fact that my uncle Henry has like a whole lot more hair than my papa had. They're exactly the same. And, and we were having this meal together, and, and Henry started opening up and sharing about he and papa's childhood. And those two were 18 months apart, and they always got into trouble. And uh, my papa grew up on a farm in Henderson in Vance County. And uh, they were sharing a story that uh, they would work all day, and if they got done with their work early, their dad let them go and just play, whatever they wanted to do. And so one day they decided they were going to go take their shotguns. Both of them had shotguns. They were going to go, and they were going to go squirrel hunting. And uh, which I don't know how you, I guess you're just shooting them to shoot them, because squirrel, you shoot, you shoot a squirrel with a shotgun. There ain't going to be anything left of that, that squirrel. No offense if, you know, rest in peace squirrels. But anyway, so they're going squirrel hunting, and he says uh, as they're going squirrel hunting, they look up in this big, huge live oak tree, and they see this huge wasp nest up there. And my Uncle Henry, who is younger than my papa, convinces my papa that the nest is gone. All the wasps are gone. They want to collect it, and they were going to go bring it back to the house. And so my papa goes climbing up this tree, this tall, lanky guy, just goes climbing up this tree. And when he got about five feet away from the wasp nest, my Uncle Henry said he looked and he shot the horner the wasp nest. And he said it just exploded with a thousand wasps going everywhere. And he said the best part was that he couldn't help but laughing because all of a sudden my papa is just tumbling out of this tree. And then as soon as he hits the ground with a thud, he gets up and he says, that look in his eyes, I knew I was in trouble. And he chased him the entire way back to the farmhouse. Uh, my papa found ways to get him back. Like my uncle Henry was scared to death of snakes. And so my papa would take snakes and coil them up in a, in a circle and put them in his pocket and then hand them to my uncle when he was asking for tobacco and things like that. It's fascinating when you hear stories like that, um, especially for those who have gone before us. If you really think about it, it brings them back to life in our hearts and our souls. It rekindles something special there. And really, when we think about the stories um, that were passed on from generation to generation, especially with the book of Genesis, that's the feeling we get. Remember uh, that these stories that are recorded in Genesis literally for hundreds of years were passed on from person to person, from family to family, from tribe to tribe. And they were stories about the heroes, the people 
people who came before us, the people who walked with God. And so one of the most fascinating stories to close out our time in the book of Genesis, we'll read this morning in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now remember, the purpose and themes and the outcomes of these stories, especially in the book of Genesis, were intended to remind the people of how God works in the world. To see the faith and courage of their forebears, to to teach them what it means to serve and to worship God, and to give them hope that God fulfills God's promises. And so the book of Genesis contains uh, stories of four of the most important people in Israel's history. Of course, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob, and then we'll end our time with Joseph today. And remember the story of Abraham that we encountered last year. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you uh, and make a great nation out of you. And Abraham and Sarah like, but we're 75 years old and we don't have kids. (laughs) In 25 years they waited and God finally gave them a son. His name is Isaac. And Isaac started his life in a bang. You remember that whole like, dad, you're going to sacrifice me kind of thing. And then God gave him the ram. Clear sign from God that he hates the Tar Heels again. Okay, just a reminder of that. And then that's how Isaac starts. Isaac has like this great love story that takes place. But really, Isaac is most famous for the drama that happens between his two sons, Jacob and Esau. You remember that story where Jacob steals from his brother. He tricks his brother Esau into giving his birthright. And then later he tricks his father Isaac into giving his birthright. And so Jacob is all grown up now and he has sons. And the thing about Jacob is he does a very, like, huge parenting mistakes as he plays favorites. And that'll be the premise of our story today for this young man named Joseph. as Jacob's 17-year-old son. And what we need to know is that uh, Joseph is beginning his story with the favoritism of his father. In fact, his father gives Joseph, what, a coat. It wasn't a coat of multicolors. It wasn't like a rainbow coat. It was, a, it was a, an expensive coat he gave him to what? To show the great favor he had upon him. But really, it was a coat of authority. It said to Joseph, I am putting you in front of my household. You will be in charge of your brothers. And so you can imagine how Joseph's brothers felt about that. The Bible says they hated him. They hated him to the core of their existence. And why is the story of Joseph so important? Right before we jump into the text here. Because Joseph is literally going to continue the promises that God made to Abraham. But it's going to both straddle the past and the present for the Hebrew people. You see, the story of Joseph is going to begin in the land of Canaan, the promised land. But by the end of the story, they will end up in Egypt. The very place where they will remain for hundreds of years and become enslaved. And so the story of Joseph is quite significant. So let's read this together. Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. (laughs) Who would have thought? Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding sheaves of grain out in the fields, when suddenly my sheaves rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. Wow, this isn't getting any better for Joseph whatsoever. And he told it to his brothers. Wow, come on, guy. Listen to me, he said. I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
And he told his father as well as his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you have? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Sir Isaac Newton once said that tact is the art of making a point without making an enemy. Tact is defined as the sensitive, mental, and aesthetic perception, having a keen sense of what to say in a gentle way. Tactfulness is not exactly the word I would use to define my life. I have been told from time to time that I am a tactless person, and and I can maybe see that. You know, growing up in school, my uh, fondest memory comes to second grade, and you can imagine that I got in trouble, you know, one or two or three times a day, and uh, when I would get in trouble, the teacher would always pull me close to her, like really awkwardly close, and she would just really rip into me about my misbehavior. And so I I started telling my dad about this, and I started telling him how uncomfortable it made me feel. And I also started telling him uh, that the fact that when this woman spoke to me, it smelled like the very death of existence was coming out of her mouth. This putrid smell of a combination of cabbage and, like, decaying bodies was coming out of this woman's mouth. And so my father gently said to me, well, next time she pulled you in close, just, just back away, okay? So the next day when I got in trouble, again, again, tactlessness in my life, uh, she pulled me in close and I gently backed away. She pulled me in close and I gently backed away again. And finally she said, what are you doing? Why, why do you keep backing away? And I was so frustrated and upset and I blurted out to her, your breath smells like poop. And my dad says I can back away. And lady, you need a breath mint. Tactlessness, it defines my life. Let's be honest. Joseph could have used a little tact, right? His brothers already hated him. Why? Because his brother gave, or his dad gave them this really cool robe. And then all of a sudden, Joseph has this dream, and he tells his brothers about this dream, about how they're out in the fields, and they're cutting wheat, and they're putting sheaves together. Sheaves are large bindings of wheat together, and his brother's sheaves bowed down to him. And what did it say? His brothers just didn't hate him. They, like, really hated him to the core of their existence. And then Joseph is tactless again. Why? Because he has another dream. And this time, what does it say? The sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. Which, if we pause and just think about it, how does a spherical object bow down? What does that even look like? Does it bend itself in half? Like, here you go, sir. I don't even know how that happens, but Joseph's dad finally catches on to it, and Jacob says to him, oh, let's pump the brakes, Joseph, a little bit. Are you trying to say that your mom and I and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And at first glance, these dreams of Joseph, it looks like he's saying that he has authority over his brothers and his parents. This, of course, would have been offensive in Joseph's time. In a patriarchal society, for a son to tell a father that you're going to bow down to me would have been one of the greatest offenses Joseph could say. So come on, Joseph, have a little tact. But there's something deeper going on here. There's something else that Joseph cannot see at this time. And it's not just a dream for Joseph, but it's going to be a dream that's for his family and for his entire tribe of people. You see, for the ancients and for many of us today, dreams mean something so much more than just a dream. In fact, in Joseph's day, a dream was believed that God was delivering a vision to you, giving you something down to the root of your soul. 
And so these dreams are going to play a significant impact on what happens next in our story. And dreams will continue to play a role in the life of Joseph throughout the text. And I wonder if we could just pause for just a second and consider your dreams. What dreams is God giving you? Do you pay attention to those dreams? Are you listening to the dreams that God has for your life? See, Jesus says again and again in the Gospels, he says what? You who have ears to hear, let him hear. Are you who have eyes to see, let them see. Are you listening and seeing the dreams that God has for you? I don't know about you, but the relationship Joseph had with his brothers is not what I had with my brothers. Like, my brothers and I had a great relationship growing up. We fought, of course, from time to time, um, but it was like stealing candy from a baby for my brothers because you can imagine with them being the much taller and larger uh, of the brothers, they dominated me from time to time. Uh, Adorable little baby there. Uh, and, and so I, I remember there was a transition, a shift that happened when my brothers and I were fighting. I don't know if you experienced this with sibling um, arguments. Uh, but when I was about 14 years old, my brother Ashley and I really got into it one day. And I'll never forget, he just, he just clocked me right in the face. Brothers, come on, we, we do this stuff all the time. But this time was a little different. Because this time I didn't immediately, you know, ask my parents to intervene in this moment. No. The look in my eye changed, and my brother saw it, because as soon as Ashley punched me in the face, I picked him up and threw him in the ground and did one of those little tricky submission moves that I had learned in varsity wrestling, and that was the last day that he messed with me. You see, what is about to happen in the story of Joseph is quite interesting, because Joseph has, has, has really made himself a, a hard object for his brother's love, and, and his, his father is going to send him out to look over his brothers, to make sure sure they're doing the work that he's supposed to do. And the narrator of Genesis tells us in this chapter that when when they saw Joseph walking up, they literally couldn't even conjure up enough courtesy within them to even give him some sort of like kind greeting. the, The author tells us what? That when they saw Joseph, they wanted to kill him. That's some hatred. And so when Joseph approaches his brothers, they they tackle him, they wrestle him. But one of his brothers, Reuben, immediately has even just a little bit of conscience. And they said, let's not kill him, but let's throw him in this pit, this cistern that's right here we're working. And so they throw him into the pit. What a great bunch of brothers, right? And somehow when they're intermingling and talking within themselves, they convince themselves, okay, we're not going to kill him. Hey, but this band, this caravan that's coming by will sell our brother into slavery. And that is exactly what they did. You imagine you got some issues with your brothers and sisters? (laughs) Imagine waking up in slavery one day as a result of them. It says that Joseph is sold into slavery, and they immediately go back to Jacob, their father, and they tell him that Joseph was attacked by a wild animal because they had torn his precious coat and they had put lamb's blood on it. And the story of Joseph is not going to get any better because Joseph is immediately sold into slavery. He lands himself in Egypt. He's sold into the house of a man named Potiphar. And over years upon years, Joseph works very hard, and Potiphar begins to catch Joseph's eye. And so Potiphar eventually puts Joseph in charge of his entire household, his entire estate. But there was another person in Potiphar's house that caught Joseph's eye, and it was Potiphar's wife. 
she wanted him a piece of that young man. And one day, the Bible says that she throws him, herself onto him, and like he like immediately just like pushes her off. And embarrassed by his rejection, she lies to her husband and tells him that Joseph tried to take advantage of her. And so caught between his wife and his best servant, Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. And it says that he remains there for many years. This guy can't catch a break. It's one of these stories where it's like, it's going to get better. No, it only gets worse. It's going to get better. No, it only gets worse. And, and for many of us, especially if we grew up in the church, we can just breeze through the story of Joseph just like we've heard it like any other story. But if you really pause and consider it, can you just imagine the emotional and physical and spiritual and psychological trauma that Joseph had to deal with in these years? The fact that his family, his, his own blood, wanted to murder him. And then they sell him into slavery. And then he's in slavery for years and then lands himself in prison because of this housewife's lies. Joseph just went from dark pit to dark pit to dark pit. And for many of us, we can resonate with the story of Joseph because we've been there before. Or maybe that's where we feel right now in our life. We feel like we are in a dark pit of despair. The emotional and physical and spiritual and psychological trauma that we are dealing with. We might not have been physically sold into slavery, but for many of us, that's where we feel like we are. We feel like our hands are bound, that we can't even make choices for our own life. It's a deep pit. And for many of us, we can resonate with it. But the story of Joseph is going to change. It's going to shift. You see, Joseph somehow finds favor in the prison. And keep in mind, it's not like prison today with three meals and like cable TV, okay? Imagine ancient prison. It must have been the most horrible circumstances you can think of. But it says that Joseph found favor in the prison. And his reputation as a dream interpreter will eventually help him out. Why? Because he helps interpret people's dreams within the prison. But then Pharaoh has advisors that cannot interpret his own dreams. And so somehow Joseph lands himself in front of the most powerful man at this point in history, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he helps interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And you remember the story clearly. What is it a dream of? You remember it's the dream that for seven years there's going to be this great harvest in the land, quickly followed by seven years of terrible famine. And somehow this twist in the story, Joseph lands himself as second in command of Egypt. He's literally put in charge of this whole idea of building up and storing up food for the seven good years in order to sustain themselves for the seven bad years. Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And the famine reaches the people in Canaan. It reaches Joseph's family. And so Jacob sends his sons to go and to buy grain from Egypt. And there Joseph's brothers come and stand in his presence. But they have absolutely no idea who this man is. The most fascinating twist of our story is going to conclude here. And so turn to Genesis chapter 45, verse 3. Read the final part of our story. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Brothers, brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Could you imagine? Like, it was just a general, like, <sighs> that came out of their mouths. 
Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. You know they did not want to come close. Like, this dude is going to kill us right now. He's going to throw us in a pit. It says, when they saw what they had done, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives from the great devastation. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father of Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, and ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back and tell my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do Do not delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. Your children and your grandchildren and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves. And so can my brother Benjamin. That is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father of all the honor accorded to me in Egypt, about everything you have seen, and bring my father down to me quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? Um, If Leonardo DiCaprio does not win the Oscar next Sunday for his role in The Revenant, then the entire Academy Motion picture, like, that whole group, I just question their full authority. Have you guys seen the movie yet? The first five minutes is worth the price of admission alone. It's the story uh, based around a true character named Hugh Glass, who was guiding a group of frontiersmen uh, in the Great Northwest uh, during the 1820s. And uh, while uh, he was guiding them through, he was brutally attacked and mauled by a bear. Like, to the point where they thought he's going to die. In fact, in the process of trying to bring him back to their camp, they believe that he's going to die, and including one of the men who thinks that the best thing for them to do is just smother Hugh Glass to death. But in the act of trying to smother him, Hugh Glass's son catches the man, and the man proceeds to murder his son right in front of his eyes, and then bury him to death. And the rest of the amazing story is about Glass' unbelievable pursuit to find this man and to seek revenge. It is a must-see movie. You see, when I think of the story of Joseph, I think if we were all honest, that's how we think Joseph should respond. How else would he respond? His brothers threw him in prison. They, they, They wanted to have him brutally murdered. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He goes from slavery into this house. He goes from this house into this horrible prison. Wouldn't you want to seek revenge on those who've wronged you? And I love the scene that the narrator sets here. Here is Joseph. He is standing here with all the glory and all the power of the greatest empire that had lived at this time. He must have been an opposing sight to his brothers. I imagine one of them peed their pants in this moment. They are caught between a rock and a hard place. And if Joseph wasn't going to seek revenge, which only seems like the natural and deserved route, you know what else he should have done? He actually should have played the, uh, the victim card. That would have been a great card to play. 
But at the climactic moment of this narrative, we see Joseph in this place of authority, and he makes the most amazing decision. Instead of power over his brothers, Joseph chose weakness. Instead of torture and death, Joseph chose life and freedom. Instead of anger and grudges and irritation, he chose grace and reconciliation. You see, what the story of Joseph teaches us is that God invites us through faith to see life from a different perspective. You see, what's fascinating about the story of Joseph is that God does not appear to Joseph in the way that he did to his forebears. Remember we talked about the audible voice that Abraham heard, Noah heard, and all these people heard before. We don't ever read that in the story of Joseph. What we see is a deeply rooted faith in God. We see that this faith in God bolstered him to be able to move and work through all these terrible circumstances that he faces. And it calls him to see life from a radical and countercultural and challenging perspective. And so just consider for a second the alternative perspective that God is inviting you and me into every single day, just like he does for Joseph. You see, God asked Joseph to see his entire life from a different perspective. In fact, it was God that gave Joseph the two dreams of the sheaves and the stars. And and it was God that wanted to fulfill this dream through Joseph. And this required that Joseph see life from a completely different perspective. He had to see himself as a vessel of God to be used as however God wanted him to be used. To put it plainly, Joseph lived this out. It's not about me, it's about God. The Apostle Paul writes this in the book of Galatians. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Joseph exemplifies the notion that God does not promise, he does not promise to take away all of the challenging routes we have to take in life. God does not promise to make everything easy and peachy and clean in our life. And that is so hard for us to recognize as a culture because we want everything so quickly. Just pop this pill. Just give this 10-minute exercise a day. Just eat this. Just eat lots of this. Just do this really quick and you'll have exactly what you want. But the biblical view is the complete opposite. That God has this longevity in store for us in life. It's not always about the path of least resistance. Some kind, God does want us to walk into the fiery furnace. Sometimes God does want us to bear the cross that Christ called us to carry each and every day. And I wonder how often I miss out and you miss out on the great opportunities that God wants for us and through us because it might be challenging. It might require us to sacrifice. It might not benefit us in the short run. And unless we're willing to see life through the eyes of faith, we will never see that God is doing something so much bigger than us. But because Joseph followed God in faith... He was able to see generosity in a different way. See, after all they had done, after all these horrible things his brother had done, what did Joseph respond with? He responded with generosity. For many of us, we're not going to be generous unless it benefits us. We're only going to be generous if, if it's going to end up helping us in the long run. So I challenge us to see, do we give sacrificially and abundantly, or do we give stingy and only when there's something left over for us afterwards? 
You see, Joseph is emphatic and he's overwhelming with the compassion that he gives his brothers. And he teaches us a completely different perspective of faith and journeying with God. It's unbelievable that he chose mercy and reconciliation. Consider how transformed and transformative our lives would be if we chose reconciliation and grace and deep love instead of drama and triangulation and avoidance and grudges and the like. Of course, that's the easy thing to do. But if you really think about it, when is the last time that something that came easy to you in life was really all that beneficial? You see, it's the things that require grit within us that end up proving to be beneficial for our lives. Are you experiencing life from a different perspective? Are you willing to see life through the eyes of faith? Eating gross things has has never really um, bothered me at all. Um, When you've eaten chicken talon soup and questionable meat and other things in third world countries that I'm not going to talk about because you might literally throw up your coffee cake everywhere, um, stuff really doesn't bother me. Of course, you know my feelings on Brussels sprouts. Like, I've eaten anything in the world, but Brussels sprouts are still disgusting. And please don't tell me, if you just put olive oil and a little rosemary on it, if you put, like, a gallon of cheese on it, it'll taste so much better. It's disgusting, and it does not taste like cabbage. Uh, But there's one particular thing that I like to eat that Jennifer thinks is absolutely disgusting. And uh, she calls it expensive snot. Uh, It's called raw oysters. I love raw oysters. And uh, this thing called expensive snot didn't seem all that gross when when I presented her with a necklace of South China Sea pearls for her to wear on our wedding day. You see, in 2004, I went on a mission trip to Malaysia, and I bought pearls, and the intention of buying these pearls was that one day, whoever I married would wear these pearls on our wedding day. And it was fascinating for me. I love the fact that pearls come out of the most disgusting animals. Like, as gross are creatures, as, as gross as oysters are, they really are gross, but they produce these fine gems. And it's quite fascinating when you think about it. A pearl comes out of some sort of intruder into an oyster shell. And so the oyster begins to, to build up this uh, substance called nicre. And it builds up and it builds up and it builds up, and eventually they produce this thing uh, that we know as a, as a pearl. It's quite fascinating, the refining process that takes place to get us this thing of beauty. You see, that's what it takes for us to see life through the eyes of faith. You and and, and I have to go through a continuous refining process every single day of our lives. You see, Joseph didn't wake up one morning and all of a sudden just have this glorious perspective of his brothers. I'm sure the first day, the day into slavery, oh, he wanted to kill those guys. But it was that day after day, continuous journey with God that refined Joseph. There's a theme that runs throughout the stories of Joseph, and we really didn't have time to dissect it this morning. But each time something horrible happens and something great happens in Joseph's life, this line repeats again and again in the narrative. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. When Joseph was sold into slavery, the author of Genesis says, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was put into Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph. When he was thrown into prison because of the lies of this horrible housewife, the Lord was with Joseph. When he landed himself in Pharaoh's house, the Lord was with Joseph. You see, what the narrator is trying to tell us is that Joseph was continuously going through this refining process. Fifteen years from the day he was thrown into that pit to the day he saw his brothers again. 
You see, like Joseph, you and I will never be refined in our faith. We will never be mature. We will never be able to see life from a different perspective if we don't allow God to refine us every single day. And many of us miss out on that opportunity because we want to bypass it because it's too challenging. It's too difficult. We want what's easy and will come to us. And it may be frustrating when you're there. It's frustrating to be in that pit. It's frustrating to be in that metaphorical prison. It's frustrating to have to work so hard every single day. But in those moments, God is refining you. God is bettering you. God is bringing you to an elevated place. And we're going to make mistakes along the way. You see, one thing we didn't talk about is we ended with chapter 45. But Joseph's brothers actually came in chapter 42. And he had played this cat and mouse game with them for three chapters until he was willing to trust them enough to bring them back into his home. But it's a process. God gave Joseph a dream down to his soul. It took him many years. What are you doing with the dreams God has given you? Are you willing to go through the process of refining your faith to fully live out those dreams? Are you willing to see and to step into the great things that God has in store for you? But are you willing to see life through the eyes of faith? Let's pray together. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.